Hey guys, welcome to another very special bonus episode from Another World Audiobooks. In case you missed the one from yesterday, this is an indie author spotlight where I'm doing three bonus episodes and reading a sample of Corrigan, and that is by Rebecca Kenny. You uh, definitely need to check her out. Uh, she is writing some awesome stuff, and uh, all the links are down below with where you can find her on the internet. Remember, Treasure Island will be back this coming Sunday, so make sure to tune in for that. But right now, we're giving you these bonus back-to-back episodes of Corrigan. Hope you enjoy them. And now, without further ado, I give you the next two chapters of Corrigan. 3. Breakaway. Ashland. I walked quickly across the parking lot, my face burning and my heart pounding. What was that? I must have sounded so stupid to him, so desperate for friends. Telling him how to spell my name? I'm an idiot. A sheltered, weird idiot. I walk faster toward the tree line. Rapid steps scuff the pavement behind me. Hey! Girl, you walk fast! Where are you going in such a hurry? My heart is in my throat because it's him, so I have to take a minute to swallow before I can speak. Nowhere. I mean, I thought I might look around the area. You know, because it's such a nice day. Yeah, it is. He agrees. You, um, need some company? I stop in my tracks and look at him. His eyes are an open book. Admiration, interest, and a hint of confusion. As if he isn't sure why he's being so bold with me. A snicker comes from the direction of the store. Devin has stepped outside and is standing with the other two boys, and they're smirking and staring at us. I flash them a smile. What about your friends? I ask. Oh, them? They're cool. He grins. We could show you some of our hangouts around here. I want to go with him, but I'm not sure my guardians would approve. In fact, I'm quite sure they would lock me up for a week if they found out I was roaming around town with three teenage boys I just met. But I don't want to go back into the forest right now. I want to be out in the sun, and I want to meet people and talk with them. It's my first day. All right, then, I say. But I have to be back in a couple hours, or my family will worry about me. Of course. Hey, you don't have to worry. I'll take good care of you. Come meet the guys. He introduces me to a blonde teen with pale eyes, Frank, and then to a boy with a shock of shiny black hair and a huge grin, Julio. They lead me to their ride, a beat-up old Buick with oversized wheels that belongs to Frank. He hops into the driver's seat and Julio calls shotgun, but Zane hustles him to the back seat so I can ride up front. The best view for our guest, he says. It's stupid, what I'm doing. They could be creeps or gang members for all I know. I hesitate. You don't have to come, says Zane, but I promise we're good guys. He could be lying, but I'm feeling invincible today. And could someone with those warm brown eyes really be a liar? I slide into the seat. Let's go. They take me all over town, showing off the skate park, the old mill, their favorite burger stop. We even drive downtown, and they show me the river with its waterfalls and the spindly bridge that connects the two sections of the city. When Julio's stomach growls so loudly that we can all hear the noise, we grab sandwiches and drinks from a shop and find a spot by the river to eat them. We're sitting on sun-warmed stones, watching the waterfall tumble over the rocks and smooth itself out into a gleaming river dotted with ducks. I feel the cold soda in my hand, taste the crisp sweetness of the drink on my tongue. The whole world is warm with spring, bees are buzzing over new flowers, and there's a fresh scent of water and earth. I want to freeze this moment and hold it forever inside me. Zane leans over, and for a second I'm mesmerized by his brown eyes. Hold still, he says, and I do, breathlessly. He expertly flicks something off my arm. Spider. I'm on my feet in less than a second, 
A spider? On me? How big was it? He makes a quarter-sized circle with long brown fingers. I shudder. I take it you're not a fan of spiders, he says, his eyes sparkling. Not so much, I say, examining the rock before I sit back down. I can't tell him the real reason I hate spiders and roaches and centipedes. My basement dungeon is a haven for them. It's full of cracks that haven't been repaired in years, and of course, it's never seen a visit from a pest control specialist. So, I deal with creepy crawly things quite often, usually when I'm feeling sick and vulnerable after a day spent in the belly of the beast. His eyes tell me that he thinks my reaction is a little overdone, so I try to laugh it off and talk about the tourists snapping selfies on the bridge. Inwardly, I reassure myself, you're okay, you're in the sun, you have thirty whole days of sunshine, you don't have to go back there ever again. Frank is complaining about his brother, so the talk turns to families. Zane has a couple of sisters. One is married and recently had a baby. What about you, Ashlyn? asks Julio. You got brothers or sisters? I shake my head. My parents passed away, so I live with my aunts. I don't have any brothers or sisters. Hey, I'm sorry about your parents, says Zane softly. It's okay, really, I say. I was little. I don't remember anything about them, so I can't really miss them. Julio whistles. Yeah, okay. This just got major depressing in here. New topic. Zane wads up a sandwich wrapper and throws it at him. Hey, man, that's littering. Julio throws it right back, and then it's an all-out battle of napkins, wrappers, and bits of leftover sandwich. A couple of ducks waddle up from the river to inspect the chaos, hoping for scraps. I watch them, fascinated by the tentative way they advance and retreat as the boys scuffle. Suddenly, Zane stretches out his hand to me. Come on. Why? He laughs. Just come on. My hand looks small, fragile and pale in his. I'm up in a moment, and we're running toward the river, towards some large rocks that break up its flow. He jumps to the edge, but I hesitate. The sign says no climbing on the rocks, I say. He shakes his head. They have to say that. Liability and whatever. It's fine. Do you always do what signs tell you? I have always done what I was told. It was a matter of safety, for me and others. But that was in a dark world, before this day. In this bright world, everything seems safe and possible. I let go of his hand and leap ahead, jumping lightly from rock to rock till I reach a huge boulder right in the middle of the river. The sound of the nearby waterfall is so loud that I can't hear his feet as he follows me easily. He's obviously done this dozens of times. We stand still, enjoying the rocks and the river and the sun. I glance over at the bank and notice Frank chatting up a couple girls. Julio is picking up the remnants of the food fight, frowning, his lips moving. What's he saying? I ask. Just grumbling, Zane grins. He hates it when we throw stuff on the ground. Let's go help him. Hey, he grabs my hand again. Stay a minute. I stay, but I pull my hand free, suddenly shy. I feel so comfortable with him, with his friends, like I've known them much longer than one morning. It's surprising, really, given that I was raised by women, and the only stuff I know about boys is from TV shows and movies. But no matter how good it feels, I'm being foolish, letting strangers drive me around the city and buy me lunch. So, do you do this often? I ask. Pick up random girls and give them the tour? He laughs. Sometimes. At least Frank does. It's my first time. Doing this, I mean, with someone I don't know, I mean... He rubs the back of his neck with his hand. It's been fun, I say. 
Really, just what I needed. He looks at me, as if he's trying to figure something out. Rough stuff at home? Kind of. I sigh. But rough or not, I need to be getting back. I didn't tell anyone where I was going. You need a phone. I know. Maybe they'll let me have one now that... I stop. Now that I'm 17. He nods. I'm 17 too. Gonna be graduating soon. Really? Isn't that early? Well, I kind of skipped grade early on. Oh, so you're smart. He smiles, a little embarrassed. That's what they say. Julio shouts from the bank, waving us over. Yeah, we better go. Julio has to work this afternoon, and we've got to get home to your no-phone family. A quick trip back across the rocks, a short walk up the street, and we're back in the car, driving away from the city center, headed back to the outer edges of town. Let's drive by our school, says Julio. Frank takes a couple of turns and we glide past the fence. It's a plain one-story building of red brick, flanked by parking lots and athletic fields. Next, the car rolls through a couple of neighborhoods, not far from the corner store where we met. The houses are small but neatly kept, lined along quiet streets and shaded by huge oaks and magnolias. Lacy dogwoods and showy azaleas bloom in some of the yards. That Zane's digs there, says Frank, pointing out a red brick house with two dogwoods in front. It's sweet. I say, leaning out the open window for a closer look. It's home, he says, shrugging. Hey, where do you live? We gotta get you back there, right? The last thing I want is for these guys to see my guardian's massive mansion. You can just take me back to the store. I'm good to walk from there. What? You don't want us to see where you live? Says Julio. Ow, stop it, Zane. I'm just saying, either she lives in a trailer, or she's super rich and doesn't want us to know. Yo, Julio, shut up, says Frank. The lady wants to go back to the store, so back to the store we go. There's a scuffle in the back seat, and Julio says, Ow! again. Take it easy, man. Too soon, we're pulling into the parking lot of the convenience store. Frank and Julio keep the car running and begin arguing about music stations, but Zane jumps out when I do. So, thanks, I say, tucking my thumbs into my jean pockets. This was really fun. Yeah, yeah. He kicks a pebble and glances at the forest. So, you're just gonna walk back into the woods? <laughs> what are you, some kind of tree spirit? He's smiling, but from the way he cocks his head to one side, I know he's curious. Nothing like that, I say. I just like the forest. Me too, he says. I go running a lot. In the woods, I mean. Sometimes trails, sometimes just running, you know? You run with anybody? I ask. Your friends? Girlfriend? A slow smile spreads across his face. No girlfriend, he says. Some girls who wish they were more than friends, but nothing like that. Uh-huh, okay. My face is heating up again, and I inwardly curse my fair skin. Such a telltale of my moods. Well, thanks. I spin around and head toward the trees. Ashlyn, wait. He touches my shoulder and I feel the warmth of his fingers more intensely than I should. I'd like to see you again. Your family has a landline, right? Want to give me the digits? No, no, I can't do that. The thought of him calling the house and talking to the other Corrigan makes me panic, but he looks so dejected that I have to offer him something. Besides, I want to see him again, too. I'll give you my email address. His dark eyes light up, and since neither of us is carrying a pen, I type the info into his phone. 
He looks at the information on the screen for a few seconds, and while he does, I study the curve of his jaw, the angle of his cheekbones, the rich color of his skin. I'll probably never see him again, and I want to remember this day as long as I live. Thank you, I say. This day was amazing. Then I turn and run into the forest. Where were you all day? Maeve's eyes are narrowed, her face more severe looking than ever. Just out, exploring, having fun on my first day? Out, she repeats. You were out. You were unreachable. Didn't it ever occur to you that some of us may have wanted to share this day with you? My mouth falls open. Since when have they ever wanted to share time with me, beyond the occasional meal? Then I notice that Magnolia's eyes are a little red. Has she been crying? I, I'm sorry, I say. I didn't realize... I thought we could spend your first day together, Magnolia says, her voice wavering. I'm so sorry, I say. I just, everything was so beautiful, I just kind of went with it. Well, there are some daylight hours left. We have the picnic that Magnolia worked so hard to prepare, says Maeve. Standing there, crisply dressed in slacks, blouse, and heels, she looks more ready for an office than a picnic. With her expression, she'd fit in better at a funeral or in a courtroom. I glance at Magnolia again, and I feel a pang of guilt because she looks so disappointed. The twins turn from their spot on the couch and stare at me, looking offended. Suddenly, a surge of anger overwhelms my guilt. Sorry, I didn't realize we were family now, I say. I've been alone for most of my waking hours during my entire life. We could have hung out any time then, if any of you were willing to give up a little bit of your precious sleep. But now I have my days. You want to hang out? Forgive me for not realizing that was an option. Watch your tone, says Maeve. I bite back the rest of my words, remembering the stick she used to remind me of my place when I was younger. She hasn't used it on me in years, and I'd rather not give her an excuse now. Magnolia's eyes are tearing up again. Instead of making me pity her, the sight makes me want to slap her. I stayed up with you sometimes. Almost never, I mutter. And you're the only one. The rest of you just go off to your room an hour or so after I came up, or you go out together and leave me here. What about the plays? We took you to Phantom of the Opera and the Mousetrap, says Gemma. Jillian smacks her arm. What? We did? Hush, all of you. May's voice carries a weight of ancient authority. I want to disobey, to rebel, but even I can't ignore that voice. When your primary guardian is centuries old and a Corrigan, you have to know when to back down. Maeve's ice-blue eyes fix on me. Whether you believe it's fair or not is irrelevant. What matters is now, and now we will all be spending some time together. How fun. Arden takes Jillian and Gemma in her car, so I ride in the back seat of Maeve's car while she and Magnolia sit in front. So, where did you go this morning? Magnolia keeps her voice light and cheerful, but I can tell there's worry underneath. I met some kids my age. We hung out for a while. Oh, that's... that's nice, Magnolia says, glancing at Maeve. You have to be careful, Maeve says. I know, I am. We ride in silence for a while, and I'm so fascinated by the bright, beautiful countryside flashing past that I almost forgot my request. One thing, though, I say. I'd like a phone. You know, you said I was unreachable. If I had a phone, you could get in touch with me any time... We get text. Silence. 
If it's a money thing, I could get a job, help pay for it. What am I saying? They have more than enough money. It's not about the money. It's about control. If Maeve thinks the phone will give me more freedom, she won't let me have it. If she thinks she can control me better with it, then she just might. You could put one of those tracker apps on there, I say. That way you'll always know where I am. You can find me if anything happens. We used to use pixies for that, Maeve says. Excellent trackers. They can find anything or anyone. Too bad this millennium is fresh out of pixies. In the rearview mirror, I see her smile. I wouldn't be too sure of that. Still, it's not a bad idea. I'll think about it. The picnic spot they've chosen is a field dotted with dandelions. Nearby, in a damp hollow by a pond, there's an entire carpet of purple and blue violets. I am enchanted. Do you like it? asked Magnolia, squeezing my hand. I found this spot last week. I love it. Gemma spreads out blankets, and Jillian helps Magnolia unpack the basket. It's about four o'clock. A little early for dinner, but I'm hungry. I suppose daytime and new things can give a person a bigger appetite. The chicken salad, fruit, and cake on my plate disappears in record time. Arden doesn't eat at all. She pulls out her tablet and keeps going with whatever work she's always doing. The twins eat hardly anything, and they excuse themselves, giggling and saying that they have dates to go get ready for. They're always going out on dates. I think men find the idea of beautiful twins irresistible, and Gemma and Jillian never seem to tire of playing with their boy toys. Gemma usually keeps her boyfriends on the hook for a while, but Jillian goes through men like a shark through water. Once the twins and Arden leave, the picnic becomes even more awkward. I can't help but compare this silence and stiff conversation with the easy riverside lunch that the boys and I had. Finally, I excuse myself and walk over to the violet patch. Once I'm among the flowers, I can barely see the two women out in the field on the picnic blanket, just above the rim of the hollow on my left. The pond glimmers on my right, reflecting the drooping tendrils of two old willow trees and the blooms of some frilly white dogwoods. I haven't picked flowers since I was little, but I can't resist these sweet-smelling purple violets. I pluck them near the roots, leaving as much stem intact as I can. A sudden splash in the pond startles me. Ripples on the water, but nothing in sight. Must have been a fish. I pick another flower. Splash! A larger one this time. Then a small rock strikes my shoulder. Ow! I peer across the pond at the bushes on the other side. I could swear I see something in them. And then the bushes rustle. Another rock hits my arm. Some kid, maybe? That's not funny, I call out. You shouldn't throw rocks at people. It hurts. You shouldn't throw rocks at people. It hurts, says a mimicking voice. More rustling and chuckling from the bushes. I've always liked kids, but kids who throw rocks? I'm not putting up with that. Quickly, I move around the edge of the pond, toward the bushes where the little devils are hiding. More rocks splash into the pond and pelt my arms and shoulders. One pebble hits my face, stinging sharply. Little brats! I hiss between my teeth, and I run toward the bushes. I reach out and pry apart the nearest branches, peering in. A horrible, grinning green lump of a face pops out at me, sticking a long tongue through its rows of pointed yellow teeth. Bristly hair sprouts from its misshapen nostrils, long ears, and curved chin. It yells with laughter in my face, and I scream. The nearby bushes erupt with laughter, and out of the branches appear more distorted green faces with gaping sharp-toothed mouths and red tongues and bulging eyes. I back up, hand over my mouth to stifle another scream. Is this a nightmare? What is happening? The things swarm out of the bushes toward me. They're wearing tattered shirts and pants, all colored a dark, rusty red like old blood. At the front of the pack, a larger one hoists a heavy rock in one hand. He flings it at my head, and I duck just in time.
Missed you this time, Gorgon, he growls in a gravelly voice, thick with Irish brogue. But I wound again. He weighs another chunk of rock. Suddenly a clear, sharp whistle echoes over the pond. The green goblins freeze, turning this way and that, licking their sharp teeth with their tongues. Then, one after another, they disappear. Not with a puff of smoke or a shower of sparks. They are simply there one second, and then, not there. Looking for the source of the whistle, I see a flash of brilliant red behind one of the willow trees. And then, nothing. I run back to the picnic blanket, trampling the violets I dropped. When I reach the spot, the two corrigans aren't there. They're walking a little distance away, arguing heatedly about something. Flopping down to the blanket, I close my eyes. What were those things? Should I tell Maeve and Magnolia about them? Maybe the change from nighttime to daytime is making me hallucinate. That must be it. Besides, if I tell them what I saw, what will they do? Keep me in the house? Prevent me from wandering on my own? I can't be walled in again. I can't. When the sun dips lower in the sky, we pack up and head home. I say nothing of the strange little green men. And when we reach the house, I excuse myself and race to my bedroom. Flipping open my laptop, I type in little green men, then little green goblins. Nothing seems to fit what I saw. Finally, I type in little Irish goblins, and the first entry pops up, Leprechaun. Of course the word has crossed my mind, but these creatures seemed so different from any leprechauns I'd heard of. In the stories, they're greedy little guys with a fanatical love of gold and a taste for mischief. I'd seen one movie that tried to make them into something terrifying, but it hadn't scared me. I couldn't imagine leprechauns as anything but quirky and fun and imaginary. But the things I saw today meant business. They were trying to knock me out or worse, and there wasn't a rainbow or a pot of gold in sight. What about the flash of red, the whistle? It was almost as if someone were warning them or calling them off. I tried googling a few more phrases, mostly involving leprechauns, Irish folklore, tricksters, and the color red. As a red branch of the royal house of Ulster, and the little-known fact that leprechauns used to be depicted as wearing red instead of green. Finally, I find a very plain website that looks as if it were designed back when computers were first available for home use. It has information about all sorts of mythical Irish creatures, leprechauns and cluricons, marrows and silkies, banshees and the Dulahan and the Liahanshi. And then I see it, an entry about the red one, the feared Dirg. I remember Magnolia telling stories of the feared Dirg, a stocky, stunted, ugly creature with a spotted yellow face. The website offers few extra details. Closely related to the leprechaun, the feared Dirg dresses in red from top to toe. He loves to play macabre practical jokes. He can mimic voices or sounds, turn himself invisible, or give his victims the worst nightmares. The feared Dirg sometimes shows favor to mortals and brings them luck, but to those he hates, his trickery often ends in death. There's more about how this guy used to lead unsuspecting travelers into the swamp, right to an old hut where a nice tasty hag was roasting on a spit. I shiver. What kind of monster is this? Could it be real? Those creepy little green goblins certainly are. A yawn interrupts my thoughts, and suddenly I feel strangely excited. Tonight, I'm actually going to be sleeping, in a bed, all night long. I'll get to enjoy a nice long sleep that doesn't involve being shrunk into unconsciousness, riding in the bowels of a demon beast. I can spend the night really soundly asleep, like the other Corrigan, instead of getting an hour or two of human contact before spending the rest of the dark hours by myself, doing my online classes and watching TV. I look at the clock. It's 9.30. Probably a little early by human teen standards, but I've had a long day and I'm exhausted. Snapping the laptop closed, I shuffle into my bathroom and brush my teeth. My long red hair is a messy tangle, but I don't feel like combing it out. I twist it up in a knot on my head and wash my face. Someone raps on my bedroom door. 
Toweling my face, I open the door. It's Arden, and she's holding a white paper shopping bag. How was your first day? Um, amazing, because I met this boy, and terrifying, because I saw real-life leprechauns. It was good, really good. Does it feel strange, being awake in the day, sleeping at night? Kinda. Well, she holds out the bag. Bought you something, for your first night. Sleep well. Thanks, you too. I take the bag and close the door, shaking my head and smiling. Arden rarely acknowledges me, so when she does, it's always a fun surprise. Inside the bag are two tank tops, buttery soft and pastel prints. They have coordinating pairs of pajama shorts that are just as lightweight and comfortable. I wonder if Arden felt bad about what I had said earlier, about not being a family. It's uncharacteristic of her to think of me at all, much less to buy me a present. As I move toward the trash can to put the bag beside it, I notice that there's one more thing sliding around inside. I reach in, retrieving a necklace with a slim gold chain and a tiny, ruby-red stone set in a gold circle. It's a beautiful thing, obviously old, but not overly ornate like some kind of Corrigan's vintage jewelry. Where did it come from? Is it Arden's? And if so, why on earth is she giving it to me? The PJs were a little odd, but this necklace is too weird. Still, I love it, so I undo the tiny clasp and put it around my neck. The red jewel glimmers between my collarbones like a drop of blood. After dressing in the new set of pajamas, I turn off the lights and slide into bed. My eyelids feel heavy almost instantly, and I sink into sleep. But it's not a restful sleep, or a peaceful one. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Everything. Zane. I think about her all afternoon. I'm still thinking about her that evening, sitting on the couch with my phone while my parents watch the news on TV. I stare at her email address so long I feel like it's burned onto my eyeballs. When I close my eyes, I still see it. You tired, baby? Mom reaches over to pat my head. No, just thinking. Thinking? What about? Nothing. Nothing, huh? That's code for a girl, for sure, right, Aaron? She kicks my dad's leg. Huh? He's still staring at the TV. Letitia, you see this about the babies getting kidnapped? What are you on about? Some messed up dudes stealing babies, right out from under their parents' noses. He points to the screen, where a blonde woman is gesturing dramatically to the hospital building behind her. Here at the site of yet another infant disappearance says the reporter. A two-day-old girl vanished from Memorial Hospital's maternity ward. Authorities are investigating how the baby could have been taken from her mother's room undetected, in spite of numerous security measures in place at the hospital. 
A nervous hospital official flashes onto the screen, insisting that the hospital's security is state-of-the-art. By the sweat glistening on his forehead, I'd guess he's in pretty big trouble. This incident is the fifth infant kidnapping in the past two months, and new parents are understandably worried, says the reporter. Then, a big pregnant lady and a nervous little man show up, fretting about how they're scared for their baby. I frown. So somebody's trolling hospitals taking babies? That's effed up. Language, says mom. I said effed. And the Lord knows what you meant. There are plenty of words in the English language. No need to use that one. Yes, ma'am, I mutter. Good thing she can't hear me when I'm with the guys. And they're even worse. I go back to my phone and start an email to Ashlyn. What should I say? Is it too soon? Maybe I should wait. After all, I just met her this morning. But man, do I want to email her. I'm not sure what to do, and there's one person who could help. So I jump off the couch and head to my sister Callie's room. She's 14, but she has more sense than most of the kids I know at school. Her door is partly open, and I rap on it with my knuckles. Hey, Callie. Hi, Z. She flips the book she's reading upside down to keep her place. What's up? I shrug. Just a question. How soon is too soon to email a girl? She raises her eyebrows. When did you meet her? This morning. Oh. She bounces to a cross-legged position. Wow, um, I'm guessing you want to email her tonight? Too soon? Maybe. Where'd you meet her? Not telling you the whole story, okay? I feel my face burning. Uh, you know what? Just forget it. Fine. You're the one who asked me. For a minute, I stay in the doorway, smacking the doorpost with my hand. We hung out for most of the day. It was pretty cool. It was like a damn epic movie, and now everything in my head is her. And she gave you her number? Her email. She doesn't have a phone. Weird. Callie frowns. Yeah, it is. So what do I do? Help her brother out. She tilts her head to one side. Go ahead and email her, she says. Keep it short. Say you had a nice time and you'd like to see her again. Don't try to be funny, because you're not. Thanks for that. I smack the doorpost again and head for my room. Callie's the best. Not that I'd ever tell her that. Alright, again, I cannot thank Rebecca Kenny enough for allowing me to do this and uh, bring this awesome sample of her book to you. I hope it really gets you interested in her work and you go ahead and check her out. Go ahead and give her a follow on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Uh, all the links are down below. And uh, you can connect with her online. She's putting out some great stuff and I want you to check it out and show some support to the indie author community. If you're enjoying what Another World Audiobooks is putting out, then uh, would you maybe consider supporting the podcast? It would be a huge help. You can just go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks and click on support this podcast. Or if uh, you or somebody that you know is um, also an indie author like Rebecca Kenny, go ahead and let me know. I'd love to get in touch with you and, and talk about doing a sample of your book on this podcast. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. Uh, make sure to share this around with people that you know who might love a free audiobook. We'll talk to you next time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time-consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com